Disclaimer. Please check your playback settings. Ensure you are listening to this podcast at normal speed. Unless you want us to sound drunk. Then play at half speed. Thank you. Mmm, Carpenter Research Base, guys. Can you smell the science? All I smell is ice and pain. Antarctica is made of pain. Ooh, a penguin. They're fucking. Gross. Enough of that. Mystery time. Permafrost that Dan found in the last episode, it led us here. Now, we need to investigate and interrogate. Hopefully, we can find the missing item, or at least another clue to lead us to it. Hopefully, we can find out who did it. But I'm just going to warn you, this is going to be an all-nighter. Now, the first question. Who is the only three guys in Antarctica? Are we doing the quiz section already? Um, is this between one to ten stars? Wait, what I miss? Um, you know, uh, uh, read it back to me. No, nobody's here. That's what I'm getting at. <gasps> They're dead. They're not dead. They're probably just planning a surprise for us. But let's just split up and see where they're hiding. Great idea, Tom. Let's split up. What movie has that ever not ended in disaster? Happy Feet. Oh, yeah, you got me there. So we're not splitting up. Wait, where's Tom? He's right over... Oh, for fuck's sake. He didn't even take his bags. He left them wide open. Why would he open his... Did he pack swimming trunks? the fuck do you think we're going to a Holiday Inn or some shit? Hey, guys! There's a hot tub at this Holiday Inn! We didn't pack our swim trunks. God damn it. Several hours later. (sighs) Feels good. So, uh, I did manage to go through the entire base. Well, most of it. But I didn't find anything. It was like, I don't know. I was standing in the end zone. I was wide open. Not a soul in sight. Perfect spiral. And I dropped it. No, Josh, it's... Wait, no, it... Wait! You used that sports analogy correctly! Uh, I didn't find anything either. Just this note saying that Johnson hadn't heard from the Norwegian team in a few weeks, so he was going to go uh, check on them. That was three weeks ago. Interesting. What about you, Tom? You know what? I tell you, I was out there looking up and down, and all I found were these soil samples and footage of what looks like a UFO buried in the ice. I mean, for fuck's sake. Wait, that's something Dan would say. Tom would never steal Dan's catchphrase. And Dan, why didn't you say anything about him stealing your catchphrase? Uh. Oh my god, they are still going at it. It's odd, too, because it's completely out of season for them. Wait, Josh isn't making an inappropriate unsolicited sex joke. Oh my god. Gentlemen, I think one of us is not who they seem to be. Those penguins are screwing again. Man, they are really going at it. Yeah, let's watch a movie, guys. Gentlemen, we are on an adventure. First, we're going to flood the city with blue, with Chadwick Boseman and 21 Bridges. Then it's going to get chilly with Keith Davey and The Thing. But then after that, we buddy up with Kurt Russell. Welcome to America! And Tango and Cash. 
Here's where it gets different. We take Sylvester Stallone and Nighthawks, and then we try to figure out who's who. So please pay attention. With Rutger Howard and Blade Runner. And then put on your hats as we take Harrison Ford to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Hike up those boots and crack those whips, because the fire pit is swinging into adventure. Follow Dan, Tom, and Josh as they race the skies and follow the dotted lines to the X that marks the spot of this journey. Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's danger. It's deception. But hopefully there won't be any snakes. Every Tuesday, here at the Fire Pit. Gentlemen, I hope we live to tell the tale. Bots and listeners, and welcome back to another episode of The Fire Pit. I'm Tom, British name Nigel, and we've got a creepy, scary episode in store for you tonight. After confronting cop killers in New York and uncovering a conspiracy, we're off to the frozen continent of Antarctica for tonight's film. And as per our rules, we've taken an actor or an actress from our last film and move them to this one. Now, to tell us what we're watching and who we're watching, I send things over to Josh. Thank you, Tom. Josh here, British name Thompson. And last week, we watched Chadwick Boseman himself go from baseball to the Big Apple in 21 bridges, or 17 bridges and four tunnels. But 21 bridges does sound better, as we've noted. Also, in that film was the Arbiter and the voice of the Navy himself, one Keith David, whom we'll be following to tonight's 1982's The Thing by John Carpenter. Classic, iconic horror film from the legendary director. But it wasn't always that way. So to give us a bit of a rundown, history, and trivia on the film, I'm going to turn the mic over to Dan. Thank you, Josh. My hope is that one day our podcast has the same retroactive recognition this movie has. Hello, folks. Dan, British name Reginald here, and as mentioned, tonight we are watching 1982's The Thing, directed by John Carpenter and starring Kurt Russell, Keith David, Wilford Brimley, T.K. Carter, and a host of others. It had a release date of June 25th, 1982, a running time of 109 minutes, so just a little north of an hour and a half, and had a budget of $15 million and a box office of $19.6 million. so... Yeah, it was disappointing. It has a Rotten Tomato score, though, of 85% with an audience score of 92 and an IMDb of 8.5 out of 10. That's pretty high, especially for films we're watching. Mm-hmm. I know. That's, I mean, a lot of times when you see those RT scores between the audience and the critics, I mean, there's usually a big difference. But 85 to 92, that's... Yeah, yeah that's pretty good. But... I don't want to step too much on your guys' toes, but it's kind of hard to talk about the trivia and the history of this film without at first mentioning it was a box office disappointment. Um, John Carpenter has stated, though, that out of all of his films, this is his personal favorite. But this movie nearly killed his love for directing. Uh, He put his heart, his soul, his blood, his sweat, his tears into making the best horror film he could. And it was a huge flop. Uh, both commercially and financially, and the critics hated it at the time, too. He wouldn't actually be vindicated on this film until years later. That also leads into another bit of trivia, that this movie is actually a remake. It's a remake from the film The Thing from Another World that was made in 1951, which is itself an adaptation of the short story Who Goes There? Carpenter was particularly upset when Christian Nyby, the director of the original Thing from Another World, publicly denounced the film, 
Carpenter's version, I mean, saying, if you want blood, go to the slaughterhouse. All in all, it's a terrific commercial for J&B Scotch. Like Carpenter, uh, yeah, Carpenter was crushed. He was crushed. Ouch. Uh, yeah, th- yeah, and it it almost killed his desire and love to want to make movies for Hollywood because he had already made. Um, well, I don't want to go into the meta, but I, I think he had made Halloween and and a couple of others before this. But it this like uh, this may have been his third or his fourth outing, and I think this was his first big budget film. Tom might have more about that, but um, it was a it nearly killed his love of directing or making movies. But the movie is a perfect example of what time and word of mouth can do for a movie. This movie lit up VHS rentals and sales and has since gone on to become one of, if not the best horror film of all time. It is routinely on lists of top five, top ten, top three horror films you must see. This is always on those lists. Uh horror directors that have come and gone since then guys like eli roth have come on and said that this movie was an inspiration to them this is the one they want to go to they try to emulate it ironically the um movie opened up the same year as another movie on this list blade runner and both movies have similar fates box office disappointments critics hated them have since gone on to become known as two of the best films ever made Nice. I didn't know that. Yeah, I thought that was interesting symmetry again i don't mean to step on your guys's toes and if i am just shut me up but um, <laughs> here's here's something funny. The thing is screened every year for those wintering over at the British research station, Omson Scott South Pole. It's always screened two hours or an hour or two after the last plane leaves them in the long winter blackout. So it's usually screened around June 21st every year in Antarctica when the researchers stay behind for the wintering over at this British research station. The next night they watch The Shining. <laughs> oh, dude! <laughs> but yeah, it's it's it's, watching, it's, it's, uh, it's like like watching Castaway when you're on a plane. Yeah, or or the day before a a mission for NASA, you watch Apollo 13 or something like that. It's like or Alien, you know, you watch Alien or something like it's like yeah, it's um, <laughs> Doctor Scott. Are we sure this was a good idea? <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I thought that was awesome. That's amazing. Hell of a tradition. I am absolutely not taking part of it. I've got a few others. I'm just going to touch on a couple more and then I don't want to ramble. But I mean, there was a lot about this movie. Like I searched a couple different websites. The trivia page on IMDb alone, you can scroll it like five or six times with your mouse scroll and not reach the bottom. There was a lot to this. But the movie's premise of a shape-shifting alien has gone on to inspire numerous other science fiction properties, including the video game series Dead Space for all of our video game fans out there. Uh, in fact, the uh, and especially the third Dead Space game where he goes to a cold uh, planet station or something like that. And in fact, the alien that could only be determined through blood tests was a plot device later used on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, where the founders or changelings were introduced at the end of season three or the beginning of season three as the uh, leaders of the Dominion. Star Trek reference. Take a drink. I personally included that there. So whoever has that on their bingo card tonight can cover the space. The other one is uh, Kurt Russell is the lead in this film. Back in 82, his biggest achievements were playing the lead in Escape from New York, uh, which was not a financial success, nor the cult classic it later became. Being the voice of an animated dog in uh, in a really unsuccessful movie and playing the lead in a TV series that was axed only after airing 11 of its 15 episodes due to terrible ratings. So he was actually a relative unknown. Um, Carpenter really wanted a relative unknown to play the lead, but... He was really reluctant to reuse the same actor as his leading man. Kind of like uh, another movie on this list, Spielberg and Lucas 
they loved him, but they really didn't want Harrison Ford to play Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark because he was Han Solo in the Star Wars movies. So they were hesitant to use the same leading man. And we'll talk about that when we get to Raiders. But um, I thought that was kind of interesting that uh, this movie is kind of the start of Kurt Russell's leading man Hollywood career. And then next week, we'll watch the peak of his leading man Hollywood career. And then he stars next week alongside Sylvester Stallone, who, and when that movie, Tango and Cashew, was also at the peak of his leading man career. And we'll go into another movie where Sylvester Stallone was at the beginning of his leading man career. I think we are in for an interesting four weeks or three weeks, I should say. I mean, watching Stallone and Russell peak at the same time. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and then the last two bits of trivia I have unused music composed for this film was later used by uh, the same composer. Oh, God, I hope I say his name right. And Nino Morcioni in Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight. Ironically, the Thing score was nominated for a Razzie for worst score ever. Uh, while his score for Hateful Eight won him an Oscar. Oh, wow. And it was literally unused music from this film. <laughs> Which is funny because The Hateful Eight is nothing more than The Thing with Cowboys. It's yeah. A terrible movie. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the female voice on McCready's computer was performed by the then wife of John Carpenter, Adrian Barbeau, who is the Queen of Mars from Olympus Mons to Tharsis. See Lab 2021 joke for those out there. So I have that one on my bingo card. Nice. See <laughs> Lab 2021. <laughs> so that's what I've got. Well, I, I, I added that joke too because See Lab 2021 kind of has a thing inspired episode as well. So I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Uh, watch the show. It's oh. it's hilarious. It was a peak Adult Swim, but um, that's what I've got so far. I've got other trivia bits. Uh, something I'm going to mention when we start watching the movie. Um, but I don't want to ramble on for too long and I don't want to keep stepping on toes. So before I step on all the toes, Josh, can you tell us something about the box office for this film? I can. I can. You only stepped on a couple of my toes for that one. Okay. I apologize. <laughs> I really do. It's all good. It's all good. Well, you know how I always like to quiz you guys on the opening weekends, right? Of these uh, things. Um, well, um, obviously we know that the thing premiered on the weekend of June 25th, 1982. It premiered at an amazing number eight at the box office, uh, and it pulled in $3.1 million that weekend. Do you guys care to take a stab at what was number one in the box office that particular weekend? 1982, June 25th? Yep. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Wrong. E.T. Damn, two weeks in a row, Tom got it. This It is E.T., the extra oh. You know I what knew- is number two? It's premiering the same week. This is deja vu for uh, people listening in later on this uh, in this podcast. Oh, uh, was Raiders of the Lost Ark? No, Blade, Blade Runner. Runner. Blade Runner. I just mentioned that. You damn are it. O for two. O for two. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was Blade Runner. Uh, see, ET pulled in thirteen point seven million dollars. Blade Runner pulled in six point one million dollars, and that was its opening weekend as well. So, like I said, it'll be deja vu because I'll be reading this one again in a few weeks. <laughs> and number three was Firefox. And at number four is Rocky Three, and Dan at number five, Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. Hmm. What? So Star Trek Two premiered the same weekend as all these? No, it was on its fourth week of release. Oh, you know, okay. Although the thing, Blade Runner, and a movie we have to get to on this podcast because this is another head in the box. What's in the box situation? <laughs> Not a head in the box. I just ruined the entire reveal. But it premiered at number nine, a movie called Megaforce. Oh, man. I was looking at just the IMDb of that movie, and I want to see it. 
<laughs> the description is story about rapid deployment defense unit that is called into action whenever freedom is threatened. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's Team America meets G.I. Joe. Dude, it looks like a bad 80s cartoon, but this is a movie. Like, the theme is deeds, not words. I want to watch this movie. Mega. Got a 3.7 on IMDb. Oh. <laughs> no, you were right, Josh. Head in the box. That's yeah, a head in the definitely, box. It's definitely a head in the box. Does it? Oh, star- but- did that movie star anyone that we could use to get in and out of it? Um, Please say no. Barry Bostwick. <laughs> okay. Isn't he looks that- familiar. Yeah, he's been on he's been on TV all the time, but um isn't he the guy from um um Ferris Bueller's Day Off? No. Okay. Spy Hard, Rocky Horror Picture Show, FDR. Oh, oh yeah. That's he another played- movie I officially want to watch. FDR, American Badass. If we ever get into a B movie thing. But anywho, that was a particularly interesting week. It was another one of those weekends where it's just like, wow, every single movie on here is pretty interesting. Bambi was on its fourth week of its uh, 1982 re-release. Grease 2 was on its third week. And Conan the Barbarian was on its seventh week at number 15, pulling in $581,000. So Poltergeist, I didn't mention, was at number seven. And Annie was at number six. Annie was doing better numbers than Poltergeist? And that's on its sixth week of release compared to Poltergeist's fourth. Interesting. Yeah. Um, the thing did not run very long. It premiered in June 25th and its last weekend. Okay, let me rephrase this. I do have to do the asterisk. This is early 80s. Um, this is at the time when box office numbers were getting beca- becoming more accurate. But it wouldn't be until 1983-ish when uh, the numbers was pretty much incredibly reliable. So it may have ran longer, but... Um, Box Office Mojo collects all of their information. Uh, so it may have ran a little longer in some theaters, but the numbers weren't reported. Okay. So, But Box Office Mojo has it uh, going from June 25th to the weekend of July 16th. So not even a month. But what's fun about that month, The Thing uh, was on its fourth week of release, and it was at number 15 in the box office. Guess what was at number two premiering that weekend on the box office? So that would have been the July weekend. July sixteenth. Hmm. Nineteen eighty-two. July. Um. The un- not the Untouchables. Nope. I have. N- uh, it's got to be. I give up. It's born of the Fourth of July. Nope. Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost <laughs> Ark. Nineteen eighty-two re-release. Okay, I'm pissed at myself. Damn it. <laughs> Number two in the. So at one point in the box office. Um, Indiana Jones, Blade Runner, and The Thing were all in theaters. Three movies on our list this year, yep. this, this this journey. Wow. I, I did not intend for that when I created this list. <laughs> wow. I thought that was a fun bit of trivia because still at the same time, Tron was on its second week of release. Rocky Three was still out. Firefox, I don't know what that movie is. Poltergeist, a Midsummer Night sex comedy. Star Trek Two, and The Sword and the sorcerer sword an animated sword. one yeah I, I remember the sword and the sorcerer well I, I remember hearing about it but but this is another one of those really epic weekends at the box office that we always talk about like it's definitely not the greatest of them but <laughs> there's uh, some heavy hitters in the box office of this weekend this is one of those weekends you go to the movies and you take your buck 50 and you're like hmm, i have no idea what i want to watch 
mm-hmm. I might have to spend $5 and watch four movies. Yeah. Oh, and incidentally, Josh, I just took a peek at IMDb and Firefox. This might be another uh, what's in the box. Is that the movie with Clint Eastwood with the experimental spy plane or something like that? Or That or... can be controlled by Neuralink. So he said, yes, to this yes, yes, yes. 1982 was a special year. We really yes. need to get to that film, though. It's a 6.0 on IMDb. Oh, my Better God. Better than Megaforce. Oh. oh, yeah, yeah. We need to figure out a way to get to Firefox, though. Oh, no. And it's got a connector. This one's got a connector to Indiana Jones through Ronald Lacey. Oh, no. <gasps> oh, no. Nice. Okay, my next nice. list to blank. It's writing itself. Oh, but no. uh, that's all I've got for the box office. So, um, Thompson, Thompson, uh, please give us some sweet, sweet meta. All right, gentlemen, you ask and you shall receive. Tonight we watch The Thing. Tagline, the ultimate in alien terror. Summary, members of an American scientific research post in Antarctica find themselves battling a parasitic alien organism capable of perfectly imitating its victims. They soon discover that this task will be harder than they thought, as they don't know which members of the team have already been assimilated, and their paranoia threatens to tear them apart. As Nigel already noted, this is based on the 1938 uh, novella Who Goes There by John W. Campbell Jr. and influenced several other classic uh, sci-fi films like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Alien, so on and so forth, and was adapted to film in 1951 called The Thing from Another World. Uh, following the 30-year rule, every 30 years a film gets remade. Um, this one sticks closer to the original story. There had been several attempts to make this going far as back as the 1970s, and it went through a lot of stuff to get here, but thankfully it did get here. And what a crew to have for this one. Behind the camera... As the producers, um, there were a few of them, but the big two were David Foster and Lawrence Terman. These two usually produce things together, mostly known for cop dramas and action horrors. Uh, Previous films they've done were The Graduate, The Drowning Pool, and The Great White Hope. Um, But other films they've been known for, uh, some films that we may or may not like, uh, Gleaming the Cube, both short circuit films, The Mask of Zorro with Antonio Banderas and Booty Call. Okay, well, I guess you can't always get a base hit, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, in their defense, Lawrence uh, kind of broke off from the group and did that one. So uh, maybe he should have had Foster there to kind of back him up. But as Nigel noted, behind the camera, we had John Carpenter, auteur director. Guy does a bit of everything by himself, uh, including his own music. I know he did have some input on the score for the thing, but he did leave that to Enrico, or Ennio, excuse me, who I'll get to in a second. Genres, of course, he's known for are drama and horror. Most recently, he's kind of not been doing so well. Uh, Vampires, Ghosts of Mars, uh, but the 80s were like peak carpenter with big trouble in little china they live and starting out even before this film he was an up-and-comer his big hits were of course halloween but he had escape from new york assault on precinct 13 and dark star 
on his resume. Incidentally, Assault on Precinct 13 and Dark Star are both mandatory viewings for film school. So you have a guy who is an auteur director, likes taking control of things, but still something to prove. And with him were... Bill Lancaster as the writer, uh, mostly known for comedies. In fact, he's only known for one thing, The Bad News Bears. This was his only other film outside of that. He did Bad News Bears, Bad News Bears Go to Japan, and then The Thing. <laughs> what a what a turnaround there. Okay. Yeah. It's like, yeah, what you gonna do before this? Oh, Bad News Bears? Yeah, I'll trust you on a horror movie. Okay. Yeah. Like, that's like looking at someone's resume. It's like, garbage man, garbage man, garbage man, neurosurgeon. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, if he was going to school. Like, yeah, maybe he was going to school. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I guess they were realizing that he was done terrorizing audiences and they wanted to terrorize them in a different way. <laughs> Thankfully, they did know at least to have someone who knew how to make a score. Ennio Morricone, uh, an Italian composer, a professional. He's been doing this since 1962 and is still active. Mostly Italian dramas and spaghetti westerns. You would know his score from the Blood and Dollars trilogy, A Fistful of Dollars, a few dollars more, and the good, the bad, and the ugly. And Ooh, of course, movies. yes, and of course, some American films, The Untouchables, and as Nigel noted, The Hateful Eight. Uh, Carpenter did have a little um, advice for him. like, try to make it synthesizer, try to match a little more my style. So there was a lot of back and forth, but Ennio had this. And obviously, he was ahead of his time, as Nigel noted, because he got a Razzie for this, or was nominated for a Razzie for this, but the same music got him an Oscar. That's so... I, I read that, and I'm like, Wow. That's, yeah, that's like just changing your answer slightly and getting an A. <laughs> Seriously, you think that he like the guy who did that. Like he was in there watching the Oscars as they won. He's like vindication. I was right all along. You are American bastards. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. When I was in college, I took a class and I submitted a paper. And uh, long story short, I had personal stuff happen, and I ended up failing that class. Mm -hmm. And I got a D on that paper. And when I went back to school a year or so later, uh, I took that same, I had to take that same class over again, obviously, because I failed it. And I submitted that same damn paper and got a B. <laughs> Vindication! <laughs> so I understand how this director feels. Like, <laughs> I want to thank the Academy for giving me the award that I should have got 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. People in the 80s were still getting over the high that was the 70s. Yeah. It was 1982, so it was in that weird transition period. Yeah. Do we wear the masks? Do we not? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> but, oh, wait, sorry. Wrong transition period. And normally I don't call out special effects people in my um, meta, but Rob Botton deserves credit for this. He's a special effects, makeup effects guy. Been doing this since 1976. Uh, started with King Kong um, as his one of his first credited works. Uh, started working with Carpenter since The Fog. Uh, he does a bit of everything. Um, he's done a few, a few podcast favorites on here, Inner Space and Explorers. But he's also done RoboCop, Total Recall, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Fight Club, and Star Wars. 
<laughs> some of my favorite movies. Right? <laughs> he didn't get any credit for Star Wars, which I think is a little um, a shame. He nearly died of exhaustion working on this film. They had him living on the studio to make all this stuff. Is any wonder he didn't die from stress? Some of the stuff on this film were so good, and they it still holds the test of time, so special kudos to Rob. But that's enough from behind the camera. In front of the camera, we have an ensemble cast that is way too many people to mention. There's at least 12 people in the cast, so I'm going to try to focus on the big three, i.e. the ones people are most likely to still recognize. Kurt Russell, Wilford Brimley, and Keith David. Kurt Russell, as Nigel noted, is our big hero, McCready. Is our is this our first Kurt Russell movie? I think it is. I don't think we've had a Russell yet. Yeah, awesome, cool. Ding, ding, ding. Although we're going to be making up for lost time with the next one for sure. This is, as Nigel noted, um, early Kurt Russell. He's done a bit of everything since then. And as noted, his varying quality in his work. But most of us would know him, of course, from Escape from New York. Um, Big Trouble in Little China, Sky High. He also does Santa Claus in a few movies now. Before this, some early Disney films like The Computer Who Wore Tennis Shoes and The Strongest Man in the World. And as Nigel noted, The Travels of Jamie McFeeters, which (laughs) barely made it a season. Uh, He was actually, interestingly enough, involved in the pre-production of this film before Carter actually cast him. He helped Carter Carpenter um, ca- uh, come up with some of the ideas and was wound up being the last actor to be cast because, as Dan said, didn't really want to have the same guy as a lead in two movies, which I think is petty, but, you know, everyone's got a thing. With him, also, early in his career, Wilford Brimley, who plays Dr. Blair. General unknown before this movie, honest, he first got his start in Hollywood as a stuntman. And it was because of Robert Duvall that um, got him that convinced him, Hey, you should be a stuntman, my dude. Hollywood's where the money is. And they picked him for this because he had an everyman appeal to him. Roles we know him from would be the natural one we saw recently cocoon, the Ewoks battle for Endor. And of course the television advertisements for the Quaker Oats company and Liberty Medical's diabetes commercials. Um, but he plays a stern, serious character in almost everything. It's going to be the same here. And finally, we have Keith David playing Childs, uh, our connector from the previous film, a theatrical actor uh, standing out from Wilford and Kurt Russell's performance style. Mostly dramas, but not above comedies with very degrees of quality. Uh, this is actually his first credited movie role. The role he did before this was the Pirates of Penzance TV movie. But since then, he has become the voice of badasses in our childhood and many others. He was Spawn. He was the voice of the Arbiter in Halo 2. And the voice of Mufasa in the House of Mouse TV series. Because if you can't get James Earl Jones, you get Keith David. Also, he played Keith the Carpenter in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood in an episode or two. 
Hmm. And of course, rounding out the cast, um, too many to mention. I'd love to, but I'm running long as it is. But they've all been solid performance and character actors. You would know some of these guys ranging from Back to the Future 3, uh, Gone Girl, The Right Stuff, Money Train, Warriors. So look them up on IMDb, scroll through their pages. I hate having to skip them because they all play a very critical role. But if I did that, we'd be going on for another hour. And this is reaching way longer than I meant it to. So summary of this film, this is a horror movie adapted from a story that practically inspired the who can you trust genre directed by a horror suspense auteur funded by people who are known for backing hits helmed by talented up-and-comers and or pros with music by a veteran composer and with special effects by a soon-to-be go-to guy for special effects which as dan noted was not at all appreciated during its time i love how when tom goes i've been going really long and then he proceeds to go on for another 10 minutes it's 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 his thing now. It's one of the. Yeah. It's well. Again, I had to shout out a few extra people. He's he's the Shatner of this group. He acts like he's the most humble of us, but in honesty, he's the one that wants the camera on him at all times. Yeah, that's definitely how it's playing out. Well, insert editor revenge joke here. He's not petty at all either. Yeah, none at all. But now that we know, goes on to have a twenty-minute uh, segment. <laughs> I mean, I could go on more. I still have more. I could, you know what? You're right, Josh. I didn't go into enough. So for the sporting cast, we have TK Carter. um, Segway, Tom. Segway. (laughs) So now that we know everything that went on in front, behind, and surrounding this film, uh, Nigel, what are your expectations going in? You have not seen this film, right? Never. Never. Although it's one of those movies where I've never seen it, but I could tell you the story beat for beat. I, I just, I mean, it, 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 1982, it's kind of hard to avoid the spoilers for this film at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do briefly remember a video game based on the movie, I think on the Xbox or the PlayStation 2. Um, but uh, I, we've got friends that love this film. Like uh, our friends, Matt and Gino, swear by it. Like it's one of their favorite films of all time. Um, <clears throat> in fact, I think Matt has a signed copy of the DVD on it, you know? So it's like... And this is one of those like go-to horror films. I mean, I have lots of friends that are horror fans and this is always in their top movies. Like this is, this is like their one, like, Oh yeah, you have to, if you do see any movie, you have to see the thing. And I don't know why I've never gotten around to watching it. I don't know. I don't have a thing against horror films. I've watched so many of them. Unintended. Pun intended. And like I said, I, I've got nothing against horror films. I, I mean, I enjoy some horror films or some slasher films, which John Carpenter kind of invented that genre. Um, Although I have to say, as you get older, you identify less with the horny teenagers at the camp and more with the guy in the hockey mask just wants to be left alone. But my expectations for this film, pretty high, pretty high. I mean, everyone talks about how this is the horror film to watch. This is one of those movies you have to watch before you die. It's in all the AMC top lists. It's in all the, you know, top IMDb's top list that I see all the time. Like I, I have some pretty high expectations for this film. I I'm expecting to be entertained tonight thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want to, and I, this is when I figured out how to connect this film to Raiders so that we could get it on this list. That's why I campaigned for it. This was one of those films. Like I really want to watch this movie. So I got some pretty high expectations tonight. I'm not going to lie. What about you, Josh? 
Well, I know um, I mentioned it during the selection section, so I'm just going to extrapolate that story a little bit. But, like, I remember in my junior year of high school, I think it was like 2000, 2001 time frame, he was a great teacher. I was just the dickhead student who did not take advantage of that when I had the opportunity. Like, if I could go back and redo this guy's class, I would not be such a douche. Um, I'm sorry if you ever listen to this and are not dead. I cannot think of your name to save my life. But um, he was, uh, it was a weird transitionary period. Religion was involved and he was teaching evolution. So I was that kid. Oh, but, gosh. Um, yeah, I'm not proud of that part of my life. But um, no, he, like, honestly, I look back on his lessons and I look back on his class and I'm like, oh my God, adult Josh would have loved going to that class. High school Josh is a dick and an idiot. Well, you know how you grow up and you're embarrassed by your younger self. That's me, full bore with this teacher he had some really awesome lessons and he showed this movie as a example like it was one of those things like we're going to watch the thing and i want you to tell me if you think that this is a, a i forget what it is like a light living form or something like that um so looking at this through an adult lens i'm like that's an awesome lesson for an awesome film but i still have the memories i had when we were watching that like i just didn't care and i think i slept through it and i found the film really dull and boring oh and it's kind of that's kind of uh, left me, let, that, that impression is let still on me thinking about it. So that's why I wasn't super um, excited about seeing the thing. But honestly, I, it's one of those things. I do want to watch it, but I've never gone out of my way to watch it. So I'm kind of glad we're watching it here. So I'm hoping that my memories are wrong and that I will really enjoy this film. Because like I said, High School Josh was odd. My expectations are, I don't want to say super high just because I have, uh, if I don't like it, I'll be like, yeah, I guess I was right. But um, I would say they're about middle, mm -hmm. you know. But that's all I've really got for this movie. Um, Tom, what about you? Have you seen it? I have. And I want to say, if I had a time machine, I would beat the shit out of high school, Josh. Oh, my God. We would not have been friends in high school. Oh, man. Although it's cool that you got to see it in high school. It took me forever to get around to seeing this film. It was one of those things that I was that guy. Like everyone talk about this film and I'd be like, you know, I've never seen it. And were, oh, you haven't seen the thing. And so many friends have tried to rectify that and cure me of that. I would either not be able to or something would come up or I would fall asleep. Thankfully, I did get my chance to see it about maybe two years ago. Um, Mike McGranger, who produced the revival of the Night Owl Theater here in Columbus, also hosted a terror from the 80s midnight double feature where he would like show various 80 horror films. In this night in question uh, that I did finally get to see the thing was in theaters and it was paired with The Evil Dead. And I got to see this film in theater restored with 80s grain. So it wasn't like fresh, like Blu-ray quality. It will, He restored it so it had that 80s look and feel to it. And I was so glad for that. It was an amazing movie. And I'm glad I got to wait until I was a proper adult because I don't think I think high school Tom would have also been equally like either um, bored with the film or just 
crossing myself because I was still very up my own ass with my religion. Um, up until late high school, I got I got better as I got older. So I am I know what I'm getting into. Incidentally, to prepare for this film, because so many things I read about this film, people were um, just talking about the thing from another world, the re the original one. I just got done watching the original, the thing from another world, the 1951 version. So for me going into this, not only is it just a joy and a thrill to have Dan finally watch the movie and you watch it with adult eyes, but I'm also going to be coming at it with a more like, okay, why do the people that hate this film always say it's not nearly as good as the thing from another world? I want to, you know, get the experience of that i've so, never heard anyone say that me either well, until you said it just now well gentlemen i was able to find a few of those people that had some thoughts about this movie and um opinions that it was not as good as the original would you care to guess what some of them thought about the movie would you care to be quizzed on them too bad i'm doing it anyways <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to say anything, Dan. I'm like, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to say anything until he says something. <laughs> My friends are assholes. So since I won the quiz last weekend, I get to do the quiz this weekend. So standard rules apply. I have scoured IMDB for the choicest of reviews. One to ten star. I will be giving you five reviews. You have to each guess what they said about this film. One to ten stars. Person who gets closest without going over within two wins the point. If you get on the money, you get two points. Person with the most points by the end wins and gets to do the quiz next weekend. So are you ready to rock? Let's do it to it. All right. And since I'm feeling completely in character and have not at all been replaced by a thing from another world. I will let Josh go first. That is so in character, Tom. Yes, it is. So this review comes from Pete C, who said, The thing may have been state of the art in 1982, but it just looks cheap in the 21st century where we are used to awesome CGI effects. Don't bother with this unbelievable farce. I'm feeling this is going to be like a 10 star review. Yeah. I'm going to go four. Okay. I'm also feeling this one's a little deceptive because they did kind of make a prequel to this film. And one of the biggest criticisms of it was the overuse of CGI versus the practical effects of this one. I'm going to say this is a seven-star review. Josh is closest. This was a two-star review. This guy's an <laughs> asshole. Right? <laughs> I was saying he, go he has much worse to say about this. And oof, I think this might have been posted by past Josh or something like that. I don't know. Good thing. Uh, so Josh has the first point. Nigel, next question goes to you. This one comes from C. Nedra Greenleaf, who says, I thought it would tell about a spirit, a ghost, or something like that, 
But no, it was about a space creature. And God, I hate space creature movies. Except E.T. Choice reviews, team. Yes. Read it again. I thought it would tell about a spirit, a ghost, or something like that. But no, it was about a space creature. And God, I hate space creature movies. Except E.T. I think Mac and Me is a superior film. Oh, God. What, nobody thinks that. Even the people who made Mac and Me. Um, <laughs> this is a... Th- I'm going to say a four. Josh? Uh, part of me wants to think Dan is on the money. The other part of me wants to say that they're not actually saying they hate this film. They just say they hate a type of film. So I'm wondering if they're going to enjoy the film and give it a higher review. So with that, I think I'm going to go ahead and roll the dice and say this is an 8 out of 10. Wow, Josh, you were way off! This was another two-star review. (laughs) Dan gets the point. And we're all tied up. What's funny is, Dan, we both got the point with a four-star guess. Yeah. (laughs) Alright, so uh, Josh, you have this one. This one comes from CC the Movie Man 1 who says... Only in the world of film do you see sleazy people like this in high-tech intelligent positions such as astronauts or scientists. Oh my god, what? (laughs) Only in the world of film do you see sleazy people like this in high-tech intelligent positions such as astronauts or scientists. Uh, I'm gonna go for broke and say four. (laughs) Nigel? I'm going to say two. Joshua's closest. This is a seven-star review. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm so bad at this game now. I am so bad at this game now. Well, Dan, I think the rule of this one is just pick four and you probably win. <laughs> okay, so, Dan, you've got this next one. Um, where to go? Oh, there it is. Wait, no. There it is. Yep. Okay, so, Nigel. That's a weird review. Shush. <laughs> so, this one comes from T. Kubus one who says... I'm telling you, if you have Netflix and don't mind some extreme gore, watch this movie as soon as you can. I'd give this movie a 9 out of 10. (laughs) I hate these, but I love them. I hate these fucking ones. Uh, Alright, you know what? What the hell with it? I'm I'm sucking at this game anymore anyways. I'm never going to win again. Uh, I'm going to say 9 out of 10. Josh? Um, Do I go high or do I go low? High or do I go low? I'm going to say a 10. I chose closest. This is an 8 star. Ah, oh, I should have gone low. <laughs> we are tied up. Okay. We are on the fifth question. And this one, I believe, Josh, you have this. So yep, This is mine. So the last question. This one comes from Quiet Fox, whose title is No Cheap Jump Scares, No Ugly CGI, No Dumb Ghost. 10. Nigel? Nine. On the dollar, Nigel. This was a nine-star review, and I feel like it was a response to Pete C and those other assholes. Yeah, because I, I know they made a prequel a couple of years ago, and like it bombed in the theaters, and most of it, the criticisms were over reliance on CGI. Whereas this movie is like the practical effects fans' mecca. Like this is like if you love practical effects, this is the movie. Mm-hmm. Anyways, well, continue. No, that's all no, no, of them. You won. That's it. You won. Oh shit! Oh, <laughs> I'm so used to not winning. I thought we still had more humiliation to go. Woo-hoo. I mean, 
been so no, long since because we were tied up at four, so it was two to two. Now it's a uh, four to two. Yeah. So you won. Yeah, Congrats. you broke the you broke the drought. It is raining in Antarctica. It's been so long since I won. I forgot what it's like. <laughs> How does it feel, Nigel? Different. Say I'm going to go to Disney World. Say I'm going to go to Disney World. I can't afford that. <laughs> Do you want to know the bonus question in case you got it wrong? Sure. Sure. All right. So I think this would have gone to you, Nigel. So this question comes from DM Greer, who says the overall theme of paranoia and mistrust keeps it interesting enough to be viewed about once every 10 years. I give it four out of 10. Um, four. Josh. Three. And Nigel would have gone on the money. It was a four out of 10. I figured if I was, if you guys tied it, I was going to be an asshole and give you the one where there was actually the score. <laughs> nice. See, Nigel, you would have won uh, even with the tiebreaker. <laughs> nice. Well, I win. I win. I win. I win. I do not lose. I win. So what are you going to do now that you've won, Nigel? I mean, what? Tom, play the music. Thank you. Welcome back to another bone-chilling episode of The Fire Pit. I am, as always, your interspersal host, editor, and Arctic tech support resource, Tom. And for the last time, Windows is not compatible with Sour Mash Whiskey. They haven't supported those drivers since 2013. Stop! trying dear god but thank you for pouring one out with us here at the fire pit it's frozen tundras and extraterrestrial turncoats as the fire pit swings into adventure sussing out the suspects is enough to make any man drink but it's all in a day's work for our team as they science their way to indiana jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. But speaking of science, let's see if the team sorted out that whole imposter situation from the cold open. Okay, now I'm gonna tell you why it's so goddamn empty in here. Norwegian starts with N. N starts with Nazis. Hitler sent the Nazis to Antarctica in 1944 because they found a UFO here. Right, and I don't know when they found talking, it. But let me give me your arm. Just give me your arm. And I'm just, I'm just going to go ahead and a little bit. I just need to test your blood. Just a little itty bitty. No! Give me your arm. I, 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 need, I, need, I need to test your blood. I am a diabetic. I test my blood like every couple of hours. I just need a small sample. Just a little cut. I promise. I promise I won't go as deep, deep as I did with Tom. That was totally an accident. Gross. Gentlemen, gentlemen, let's just step back a bit. Get away from me! I'm telling you that UFO is out there and it's overrun with KGB. Just a small little prick. I just need a little bit of guys, blood. I just guys, 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 guys. Okay, Josh, you're being unreasonable. Put that thing down. You're being crazy. We all know what's going on here. And we all know there can be only one true test. And that is the pure cleansing power of fire. So just line up and we'll figure out who is who here. No, 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 that's not how any of this works. You got to test the blood. No, it's no, it's no. in the blood. No, no, no it's, I'm telling you, it's overrun with the FBI. The CIA 
found the UFO again in the 60s, and then they were the ones no, that... No, no, see, they, they know how to pretend to be in the blood, too. This is known. This is what the CIA and the KTB have been trying Which to Which is why up. you've got that's, to test the blood. Yes, we are going to test the blood by burning the whole body. Now, again, just if you could line up, preferably in alphabetical order, starting with J, then we can figure this out. Not how the alphabet works, but no, the bodies, the bodies are fine. The bodies are fine. So you got to test the blood. You get the blood out of the body with the knife. You put it in the Petri dish and you burn it. Let's burn the blood. Tom, I'm going to pour the blood that I took from you earlier. So here it is. Burn it. Burn that. That's the test. We'll burn the blood. All right. Let, let, let's, we'll try this. Then we'll get back to my thing. Finally, you're saying something reasonable. <gasps> Five seconds later. Well, now the shed's on fire. Man, that, oh my God, that really stinks. Like blood, gasoline. Yeah, so I thought it'd be a good idea to paint the shed in gasoline. Keep us warm. Ah, well, that'll do it. Okay, anyways, back to the lizard people that are hiding just over that mountain river. So what we- the hell are you guys doing? Ah! Who are you? I'm Keith Johnson. I'm the lead researcher here at the Carpenter Research Base. Why is my research shed on fire? How can we be sure you are who you say you are? We cut him. We cut him in the arm. I excuse me? Fire. Okay, serious. Stop. Back up. Seriously. Don't cut me. Just come back with me to the winter station. I don't know why you guys are here. We don't use this section during the nocturnal season. Are the penguins less racist over there? You know what? They can be whatever you want it to be. Come with me, please. Hey, aren't you... Are you the three podcast guys who were supposed to arrive like a month ago? What are you talking about? We've only been here a day. Yeah, I mean, we're pulling an all-nighter. We're, we're investigating things. Plus, the sun hasn't even come out yet. It can't be day while it's still night. Guys, um... How do I put this? During this time of year, nights are like six months long. What? what? Oh, Okay. All right, yeah, I understand. <laughs> nice try. Everyone knows calendars aren't real. Josh, get his blood. <laughs> Knife. Whew. Is it getting hot in here, or is it just them? Whew. See what I did there? Yeah, yeah, you did. But if you want to send us some warm words of your own, or if you want to warm our wallets with some advertisements, or... If you just want to keep your keyboards warm with some typing, then feel free to email us at curtaincallentertainmentinc at gmail.com. That's curtaincallentertainmentinc at gmail.com. Just be sure to put fire pit in the subject line, as well as what you're emailing about, whether it's to commission an ad, communicate a movie idea, construct a journey list, or just have a private conversation, and shoot us a line. From there, we'll read it, test it for infection, destroy it with fire just to be on the safe side, and never respond. Did you want to take the chance? Yeah, I didn't think so. But that email again is curtaincallentertainmentinc at gmail.com, capital C, capital C, capital E, 
capital I, at gmail.com. Antarctic Station IT. Oh, yeah, no, it sounds like your computer's been replaced by a changeling this time. Uh-huh, yep, let me just get my flamethrower, I'll be right over. <sighs> this is why we're supposed to have firewalls, people. Ugh. I have to go troubleshoot something with fire now, so I'll let you get back to the episode. Thank you all for listening, and as always, good luck. Uh, every Tuesday, I swear to God. And now to check on the team to see how they're enjoying their movie. The fact that it's steaming and it's like negative 40 below. I guess I should say 40 below. It's not negative 40 below. Because then that would mean it would be positive 40 below, right? Double negatives and all that. Stop. Stop. <laughs> so, Frank, um, I'm a little lost. Can you uh, help me get to the base? Yeah, sure. What's uh, We'll use some landmarks. What's surrounding you? Snow. What else surrounding you, Frank? Mountains. <laughs> yeah, I'll call you back. Does that say Loki? Marvel Cinematic Universe. Confirmed. Lead the target, Frank. Is he shooting a dog? Yeah. I hate this movie already. Okay, Frank, I think you're getting a little carried away now. It pissed on your rug. It can be replaced. This dog dies by fire. <laughs> We've already spent thousands of dollars and hundreds of man hours trying to kill this damn thing. Can we go home now? It was a sentimental couch. It really brought the room together. Jesus, Frank. <laughs> Dude, from like one to ten. Like, I knew it! The Norwegians are evading! <laughs> I knew this day would come! Luckily, I prepared for this. They're Norwegians. Their customs are weird. It's up to you, Mac. You don't want to fly? We don't fly. Okay, we're not flying. Okay, the fact that they were chasing the dog, shooting it in guns, and we find this. A dude killed himself, and the base was burned down. No red flags, guys. We're good. I'm gonna go take a shower. <laughs> That guy looks like Hyde from that 70s show. Only less rape. Well, what we got here is what appears to be... Diabetes. Oh, this is good. I'm so glad I ate before I watched this. What are you talking about? That's just Jello. Mm, organ Jello. That's a good sign. Yeah, good sign to turn around and walk back the other way. Funny joke here, but um, there's a character in this movie named nicknamed Windows and another character nicknamed Mac. Oh my god. That is awesome. That took me way too long to catch. <laughs> Bob, Bob, keep back in here, Bob! 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 We have a situation! The new guy, he's uh, Bob, he's freaking me out. They throw those Norwegian dogs! Get out! <laughs> oh, it's, oh, it's having me time! Oh god! Wait, 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 wait. He's already escalated to flamethrower? <laughs> this is the most intelligent horror film I've ever seen. <laughs> so, how much fuel does that helicopter have? <laughs> Seriously, how much fuel does it have? Oh, God. It is. It's oh getting God. into the rack. Oh Where is that flamethrower? Please. Please. Now. Now. Yeah. Now. <laughs> Why did you stop? <laughs> You know, we've been watching this movie for how long now? I haven't seen any science. <laughs> well, you know, Russell Crowe 
you know, outsmarting the computer. That counts as science, right? Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. Who did I say? Russell Crowe. No, good God. (laughs) Dan has a new catchphrase. (laughs) Well, there goes my Nobel Prize. But finally, my chance to burn some corpses. No, He's doing a real fine job. I don't know, but I say we vote to listen to the black man with the flamethrower. <laughs> That's a man that's been eating his Quaker oats. <laughs> Why didn't the thing go to the party? Because he had no body to go with. <laughs> that was gold. Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Jump scare. Dude, seriously, I would not be holding that Petri dish. Because if it's chance that it does decide it wants to stand up and walk away. Okay, white guy with dynamite does trump black guy with (laughs) flamethrower. I I can see you've played rock, paper, scissors, white guy with dynamite, black guy with flamethrower before. That's not how defibrillators work. TV shows in Hollywood have been getting... Oh, Oh, God. (laughs) I told you! I told you it wasn't me! Seriously? I'm just gonna go into this creepy, dimly lit, unexplored corridor. And leave the other guy alone. After everything you've seen and experienced... Okay, question. Is there a comedy version of the thing? <laughs> yes, yeah, C-Lab 2021. <laughs> He's holding a flamethrower. And dynamite. And a gun. The guy's loaded like Duke Nukem. Let's not risk it. Think you got him? No. Is this the ending? This is the that was the ending. Yes. That was the ending. That ending sucked. <laughs> and now back to the episode. Alright. Well, hey guys, that was the thing. It was uh that was interesting. But um I think as far as final thoughts go, I think Dan's got the first one. Nigel, would you lead this off? Uh yeah. Um I've never seen this film before. I've been told it's a classic. I've been told it's a landmark film of special effects and horror. And I think it lived up to the hype, at least in my opinion. You know, I'm so used to modern horror films where they just kind of special effects with the monster and the high body count and people making stupid decision after stupid decision after stupid decision. And in this one, I think they made pretty smart decisions as far as like the way that they behaved in the movie. It's just the thing was kind of more clever than them. So it it managed to get the upper hand on a few things, but um, except for the whole, like, honestly, if you know, it can mimic someone else, you should never ever, everyone should have been paired off. (laughs) No one should be allowed to be by themselves. That aside, I thought it was a really good movie. Set the atmosphere up really well. Set the um, tone from the beginning and just the creepiness. And uh, I, I don't know. I just really enjoyed this film. I mean, it just was John Carpenter at his most John Carpenter. And it was really good. Just uh, a really good movie. So, yeah, it lived up to the hype for me. Uh, I've got some other thoughts, but um, I'll play off them as uh, we get into the uh, discussion between the three of us. So Josh, uh, what are your final thoughts on this film? Well, um, I want to preface this 
a little bit to our audience. Um, and I'm just going to go ahead and, you know, expose myself to them. Not in the bad way. Not the part that's going to get me sent to prison. But uh, when I finished the film, like you could even ask Tom and Dan, I was just like, what the fuck was that ending? Because in my head, I hadn't realized that the Wilford Brimley story arc had been closed. I thought that when he introduced himself just, you know, two minutes ago, I uh, took him for somebody else. Didn't even click that in together. So when the movie ended, I'm like, well, what the fuck happened to Wilford Brimley? Like, I thought that ending <laughs> sucked. I had to have Tom and Dan explain this to me. <laughs> So I feel about an inch tall right now, <laughs> but it, no, no, no. but I will admit um, after, you know, they were gracious enough to make me uh, feel like I was stupid. I think the ending was good. This was my first time seeing it too, but I would have to say that I definitely think this would be like, kind of like movies like Fight Club. This would be a lot better on subsequent viewings. And I think Tom, I'm wondering if you could attest to that or not. But I did enjoy it. I thought it was very gripping. I even made a comment early on that he seems to hold on a lot of scenes, like for just ex a few extra seconds, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like the helicopter flying into the Norwegian base. And he takes the time to see it flying off in, from the horizon and land and then them start to get out. You would never see that today. And it's not too long. He just he holds on some scenes just a little bit longer than they would hold on them today. So I'd have to say that that helps do a great job of building up the tension. This movie definitely is one that's got a lot of uh, space between scenes. You could easily edit it down, in my opinion, like cut a lot of those scenes off. But I think it wouldn't do as good to develop the environment, if that makes sense. Because mm. I think that a lot of those scenes kind of gives you that feeling of vast voidness, you know, especially the opening scene when you see that canyon and then the helicopter goes from a speck to like basically filling up the screen. And then the camera pans over to reveal the vast white plane as they're chasing down the wolf. I felt that that was really good because it's like, hey, you are in nowhere. Like, literally nowhere here. There is snow and rock. You are in Antarctica. Yeah. Once it turned night and got dark, he stopped really hanging on the scenes, I noticed. But beforehand, it's like he did a really good job of building up the environment that was mm -hmm. we were in. So we knew everything that was around us. It didn't feel, we didn't feel uh, confined. We didn't feel claustrophobic about it. Because we knew, you know, this is the base, but we know what's around the base. And I thought he did a good job of that. And it felt cold. It felt really cold, too. But yeah, he did a good job of, I don't want to say world building, because that's not the worst, but like... Setting up the environment, maybe? Yeah, environment building or whatnot. He did a really good job of that. And it's like, the environment was almost a character in this film, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The same way the Enterprise is uh, a character in Star Trek. Yeah, they, the way they, they do treat the ship as uh, its own character. Mm -hmm. Maybe not to that extent, but I feel like they did that to a point. And I think that it was really interesting on how he held those uh, shots for an extended time to really give us that sense of being in the middle of nowhere. Mm, desolate and isolated. Yes, thank you. Desolate, that's that's the perfect word. Yeah, good. But, yeah, uh, yeah, really good. But, uh, you know, I, I like Dan. I'll get more on that in a little bit. Um, Tom. How about you? This is your like third time or something seeing third it, Third right? or fourth time, yes. And I love each and every time I see it. I'm glad that you guys are loving it too. And I'm glad I went back and watched the um, original 1950s version because now I have like a certain perspective and even kind of more appreciation for this film and just how it was able to make it 
make it its own thing rather than just like a beat for beat, note for note, carbon copy. I see what you did there. Thank you very much (laughs) (laughs) of the original, which it could have easily have done. And it just would not have been as unique because I'm going to be honest. The 1950s one, aside from a few moments here and there, was just your kind of generic 1950s sort of thing. It played like a episode of Doctor Who, you know, Monster of the Week defeated by science. This one, it took the right elements from the film and made it even better. It This one definitely didn't really care about the personality of the characters, for sure. It's like five minutes in, it's like, here are a whole bunch of guys. What are they really like? Uh, we don't know. We don't care. Let's just get into it. As opposed to the original where it took its time, it introduced everyone, it gave them... It's almost like the opposite. Josh, you were talking about how this film, Carpenter, built the atmosphere, took its time to build the environment, get you um, understanding what the real theme of this film is, like isolation and desperation. Whereas the other one was like, this is a story about characters who are going to overcome something. So you got to know them personally. Uh, like they're, you know, every, this guy's like, he's cocky. He's arrogant. He's been in the war. This is a reporter. He's, he's kind of smart ass, but when it comes down to it, he doesn't shake this, that, and the other. I'm not going to say one was better than the other as in like this version should have done that. But really once this movie got going, you knew the ones you wanted to care about it made you care about them and it just grabbed you the monster was terrifying unique the scientists here were scientists well air quote scientists i don't know how closely the scientists on actual um antarctic bases would compare to uh, mccready and them i really want to look into how well-armed Antarctic bases really are? Not really. Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you in a minute, but I, that, was, that was actually part of my trivia, was how armored that particular Antarctic base was. But also remember, though, Tom, just before you can continue, they weren't all scientists. Like, McCready was a pilot. Mm-hmm. So they weren't all scientists. But go on. Go oh, on. no, no. I, I like that distinction, too, because in the original, there were scientists and there were military. Military were smart. Scientists were dumb. This one, they did away with the military guys. They're, whether or not they're scientists, as you say, everyone's smart. With the exception of the end, no one was really holding an idiot ball. And that also helped, whereas in the original, uh, almost all the scientists were holding the idiot ball except for one or two. Everyone else, unless they were military, they were dumb as fuck. The only nitpick I have is, yeah, near the end, uh, one or two people started holding idiot balls, which kind of took away from the rest of the story i'm going to add and subtract as we discuss but my perspective is i look at this film and i see more and more and that's another difference one last thing compared contrast to the original the original one was kind of generic even by its standards there's a monster we need to figure out how to stop it this one has rewatchability to it you pick it apart you look at it you rewatch if only to find out what were the clues that this person was the thing who was the thing at the end was child's really the thing was mccready the thing and that 
really helps it out. So let's uh, converse about this, I guess. Can, can, can we all at least agree that the Among Us uh, movie is better than the game? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good analogy. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, actually kind of disappointed in us for no one made that joke during Enter the Watch. No one made an Among <laughs> Us joke. Yeah, although it, it, I think it's safe to say that Among Us is definitely inspired by this movie. Oh, so, yeah, guaranteed. I think there's some know. animations that come directly from it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the fact that none of us said, oh man, he's totally sus. Yeah. I am now disappointed in myself. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you could say this is the, the, that was a credit to the movie that we were that entertained by it. I mean, we we made our uh, quips, but we were all watching this movie. I mean, I know Tom got off on a rant, and I had to shush him a couple times. <laughs> well, that's my fault, too. I've seen this like two or three times, so I was more familiar with this. And now that I think about it, too, the, everyone was suspicious throughout the whole film. So not having that whole character... Like, get to know the characters, I think, added to that. It's like any one of them could be acting in a character or out of character. You don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm curious to go on a second rewatch after you made your comment. It's like the people who are acting crazy. Are they the uh, like are they the ones who are not suspicious? Are they not sus? But uh, so it's like on a se- subsequent rewatch, it's like pay attention to the people who, you know, are the monster or the yeah. thing. You know, it's like you're watching them compared to the other characters, the human characters, like are, how different are they going to be? You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or pick out like when you think one of these people was turned, like how long were they human until they stopped being human? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's just the atmosphere of this movie was just that good. Cause like we were all sucked into it. Even Tom, who's seen this movie, you know, two or three, four times now, like we weren't making a whole lot of jokes during the watch because we were, really invested in it it wasn't like when we watched 21 bridges we're like we were tuning out of the story about halfway through (laughs) and we're just making jokes like crazy mostly because 21 bridges josh you were right we we figured out the plot like within i i would say after the first shootout i'm like okay i I know what's gonna happen Um, yeah you know the cops are involved yeah i know i know the twist here (laughs) um and i know the story this is a movie that i've i had never seen until tonight but i could tell you the beats like i knew the autopsy scene like i knew the guy got his hands or his arms bitten off in the autopsy scene when he tried to use the defibrillator because that's i've seen that scene on youtube a thousand times and like top 10 best horror movie scenes of all time and all that Mm -hmm. so it's like yeah I, I've seen that too. And that got me tonight. Yeah. I've seen that scene a bunch of times and I still, when his hands got bit off, I'm like, Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> and because we are so and spoiled is not the right term ruined by modern horror films with the over reliance on jump scares, especially bad horror films, bad horror films, just jump scare after jump scare after jump scare. And they telegraph them so much. Whereas this one, that one jump scare got me to jump right out of my skin because I didn't see it coming. Like, um, I hope you include that in the uh, played playing section. I will. Oh, yes, oh I will. yeah. I mean, I was like watching it. I was like dead silent. And that he, he turned that 
corner or, or walk around that table and whatever it was walked in front of the door. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, like jumped right out of my skin on that one. So, but I didn't see it coming though. So that's, that's a good jump scare. Like that's a good one. Yeah. I think a lot of them were, I mean, even the blood scene when they was testing the blood, it's like, I knew, oh, I oh. knew that one of these was going to pop positive. Cause you know, same thing. It's like, I've never seen the movie, but I know the beats. It's like, I knew one of these is going to pop positive And one of the guys is going to change in his chair. I don't know who or what, but like when he put the fire stick thing in the blood and the blood jumped out, I was like, oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Like I've seen that scene on YouTube before, you know, again, best horror scenes of all time and all that. Like this movie comes up on, on a lot of best horror films for, you know, plot, atmosphere, acting, special effects, like it ticks a lot of lists. And, um, that scene with the, with the blood test, Josh, I'm with you. Like I knew that that one of them Petri dishes was going to pop out of his hand and, and windows is going to get his head bitten off by someone's chest or something like audience. It, it, it makes sense in context, but uh, <laughs> it's like, I knew that that scene was coming and I still fucking like, Oh my God. <laughs> so good. That's a, that's a good movie. That means it's a, you did your homework, John Carpenter. So yeah. Yeah. And I still don't get people's gripes from back in the day, the, the score for this film. I thought it was just right. It, need, it needed to be atmospheric and tense without being distracting. It's unique. Mm-hmm. You can hear it. You pick it out from the movie, but it's not in your, it, like I said, it doesn't distract. So I'll, uh, l- let me play devil's advocate for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, or basically, maybe I could give a little bit of point of perspective I'm not saying that I'm the definitive source on this, but he is. I act like it. But uh, (laughs) maybe what's happened here is like we look at this, you know, 40 years later Mm -hmm. and uh, we see its value. But when it was brand new, it was brand new. So he John Carpenter, you know, was redefining horror. So people weren't ready for it and people hate change. So the music was more atmospheric and it meshed well with the plot and the in or in the uh, environment and the atmosphere of the movie prior to this it may not have or they had certain beats that they were supposed the air quotes the beats that the movie was supposed to follow sure this one didn't so they might have heard the music and seen all the plot and everything like that and be like wait no this isn't right this sucks mm-hmm. same way people hated on empire strikes back when it came out because it was different it had a down ending the heroes lost so people hated it because it wasn't your hero's journey why didn't luke skywalker win the last battle type yeah thing? Sure. yeah also it's a much slower film than the original star wars like it doesn't have as many action scenes mm-hmm. and stuff like that so people's gripes maybe because this isn't what i was expecting i don't like it because it didn't fill my checklist what's interesting is john carpenter gave birth to the slasher film like halloween is the first you know, slasher movie where, you know, lone serial killer goes around a college campus, a campground, a neighborhood, whatever, and wantonly kills teenagers left and right. Although the original Halloween, the body count is remarkably slow compared to what other movies would later do, but he gave birth to the slasher genre. And then like, there were some copycats. I think the first nightmare or not Friday the 13th had come out by the time this movie come out. So I think people had different expectations of horror films. Like they were expecting the serial killer going around, killing all the horny teenagers. And in this one, it's not a serial killer going around killing horny teenagers. Mm-hmm. Now I know that the first Friday the 13th is a little bit different than the sequels. And I don't think nightmare on Elm street had come out yet, but it's still, I think people had different expectations of what horror films are 
should have been back then. And this movie just didn't see it. Also, when I was looking up trivia, one of the reasons why it failed is because at the time, most alien movies were about benevolent aliens coming to Earth, like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, E.T., even the knockoffs like Mac and Me and stuff like that. Like those movies were family films and about funny, whimsical aliens that are cute, but also mischievous. And then the thing comes out and it's killing people in Antarctica. Yep. This, this movie did come out after alien, but before aliens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause alien came out in 77, 76. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And alien was another film that was greatly inspired by the thing from another world, including yeah. the whole like Geiger counters. Like it's close. The thing's beeping. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tom's right. I don't know. I, I guess people just had different expectations in 1982. But Yeah, and that's I'd have to agree. Overall, this was a really good movie. I definitely want to watch it again. I definitely want to watch the prequel now, too. Yeah, same here, because the prequel is supposed to be all the events that happened in the... Yeah, the yeah, it's uh, the one that came out in 2011. Apparently, like, I was just reading some trivia on that one, not to steal your thunder, Dan. But they, like, used uh, Kurt Russell's height, because he was between 5'10 and 5'11". Um... Because there's no blueprints or any scenes from the Norwegian base. So they used his height as a reference of the base setup in the uh, this film. No fooling. To make the sets in the second mm-hmm. one, yeah. That's actually kind of cool. And then they like used, uh, they had like took thousands of screenshots from the movie to uh, rebuild the uh, base for the prequel to make it as perfect as it was. So it's like you could be able to watch that one and then follow it with this, this one. I hear that the set designs and stuff are okay, and I guess the acting's all right in the sequel, prequel, whatever it is. Well, I guess the main gripe is the fact that this movie used practical effects and puppets and other stuff, mm-hmm. and the sequel relied a lot on CGI, mm. and that a lot of the Carpenter purists were kind of like, Ugh. you know. Yeah, and I'm a purist there too. I I also want to see the sequel now because I want to compare that sequel to this one and how it did it wrong whereas this it right with a thing from another world yeah what do you mean sequel what do you mean well again this one like i said it didn't want to be a thing from another world it wanted to be its own monster for lack of a better term from the sounds of it the sequel to the john carpenter thing or prequel i should say sounds like it was trying too hard to be the 1982 Carpenter thing uh, without making its own identity, a copy of a copy, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, I, I, I don't know. I haven't seen the prequel, so I can't really judge it by those merits. It might've might not be as bad as a film as everyone makes it out to be. And it could also and- be one of those things when it came out, it was terrible because it wasn't the thing. Yeah. So watching it 10 years later, Mm-hmm. We may see some merit to it, you know? I mean, you never know. I, we will have to give it a watch, see, and comment on another episode in the future. Yes, yes. Um, does anyone else feel that this movie went off the rails once they found the the tunnel and that uh, Brimley thing was making an alien spaceship? To me, it didn't go off the rails. It did kind of feel like um, when they were setting the dynamite traps and uh, a couple, like, they, they had to kill off a bunch of people at once to kind of like... Oh, wait, hold on. We forgot to kill off these people. <laughs> you know, I agree with your uh, input on that one, Nigel. What about you, Josh? Uh, maybe not off the rails, but the fact that it was building because they I don't want to say that the thing ever came off as a dumb monster, 
because mm-hmm. obviously impersonating people and taking the things, it just, it doesn't come off as a creature that would build a spaceship, but yeah. you know, that could just be me going based off of what it looks like in the practical scenes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I kind of had the impression, I don't know. They don't really elaborate on the backstory. Maybe the prequel does. I don't know. I kind of had the impression that the thing wasn't the alien in the spaceship. It probably killed the aliens in the spaceship. It was like, mm. a, it was like a weapon or either a biological thing. Like, uh, the, the alien prequel Prometheus kind of sort of touched on that theory a little bit. Like the thing wasn't of course they, these aren't in the same universe, but that's, that was my head cannon while I was watching the film was that the thing wasn't the alien in the spaceship. The thing had killed the aliens in the spaceship. That's why it crashed. And it, it tried to get out of the spaceship and it obviously it froze to death and, or not froze to death, it froze into suspended animation in Antarctica. So that was my head cannon. I don't know. It just didn't seem like it would be something that would build its own spaceship. But the, the doctor did say in the movie that it mimics people perfectly. So maybe if it mimicked the aliens that were in the spaceship at one point in time, it would have the knowledge to know how to build the spaceship. I don't know. It, this movie didn't explain it. I don't know if the prequel does, but um, sometimes I don't need an answer to everything. So ooh. yeah, this is one of those movies I think that you could like because that's a good headcanon theory for this one too. Like mm-hmm. this this film is one of those ones I feel it has a lot of it leaves it just open ended and vague enough to give you those opportunities to fill in the blanks. Kind of like how people constantly are finding excuses in Star Wars. Back to that one again to fill in like uh, this was his motivations in this scene. This is why he did this. And this is why he did this in this particular scene. It was never explicitly said it was only inferred, but not directly. So everybody could have their own interpretation of any individual scene. Cause that that's honestly, Dan, that was something that I kind of think I had in the back of my head. Like I didn't put it to words, but uh, I think that it did a good job of that because now we can see, we can, you know, build our own theories based off of that. And I think your theory was really good because it um, makes sense. But I don't like Tom. I agree. I think it kind of went off the rails because I don't, I didn't see these, this alien as being capable of building a aircraft, spacecraft, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And again, with the materials they had available too, I, I didn't think it made too much sense, but like, Nigel's head cannon may, you know, it fits the logic of the movie. It's not, out of nowhere, implausible. It could be a, a thing it could have done. But well, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, if you think about it, like like it mimicked the guys, some of the guys on the camp or on the base, and it was building the spaceship. So the it knew how to use tools, mm-hmm. and it knew how to use. It knew it. It knew what went where. It knew what you know. It, it had like the engines in the right place and the landing gears in the right place. So it's like, it kind of knew that stuff. So I don't know if like, if, if the alien works, like when it absorbs something, it also gains the, that organism or that person's knowledge. Yeah. That's just my head cannon. Like I said, I don't know. The doc did say it mimics it perfectly, but does it really just mimic it or does it clone it? So yeah. again, that's the beauty of this movie. We can have these discussions. We can, examine it and it could be it, it it still fits the logic of this film we can mm-hmm. just debate it discuss it but it's not this dumb out of nowhere thing yeah. why did he look through the eye hole because the plot said he was going to look through the eye hole yeah because the plot said he had to look through the eye thank hole. you even better josh yes yes it's not 21 bridges yeah, yeah that's not a movie we're going to be dissecting 10 years from now that's a movie you watch be like okay that was a movie <laughs> yeah and, and also this also, we've been discussing our final thoughts for this film for the last 20 minutes. We spent 10 minutes t- 
cops on 21 mm-hmm. bridges like it was like you know okay yeah this movie's yes. not very good so yeah that's perfect thing too it's like i was even thinking earlier it's like <laughs> agree with me or disagree with me on this one this movie would make a really good destination film oh it absolutely would have made a great destination film Yes. Like, obviously, it's not going to be any time in the next year or two. But if we ever have the opportunity to have a destination fall on, like, um, the Antarctic uh, New Year mm-hmm. where they're rewatching the show, that, that would be a perfect time to have this as a destination film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Normally, I eh, stay away from that sort of thing if it's a movie we've already seen. But considering, one, anniversary, two, this is just that damn yeah. good, I'd make an exception. Oh, yeah. I'm already planning sometime down the future, down the line in the future. Apollo 13 needs to be a destination film and we've already seen it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is, I was actually thinking that tonight, Josh, while we were watching the film, like about three quarters of the way through, I'm like, this should have been a destination film, but it, it, you know, I'm really glad watching this tonight. I don't want to toot my own horn here, but I'm really glad we went with my list. Cause this is a movie I really wanted to see. And I'm so glad I got to see it. Finally. I fully agree with you on that one. Mm-hmm. And if Mike ever restarts his terror from the eighties and does this film again we gotta see it together because this film in like that classic 80s grain that you know grainy style film oh it's so much better the special effects just extra creepy in that old 80s style oh i bet Oh my gods, but I've hit every note I could hit now and then so. Yeah, I feel like I could spend another 20 minutes talking about this film, but I'm probably going to start repeating myself, so. Yeah, we definitely could have part two to this if we needed to, but. (laughs) Yes, so that's tonight's show. As a reminder, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, or wherever fine podcasts are sold. Our regular episodes are Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Please like and subscribe to us on whatever medium you choose. We really appreciate it as it really helps us out. Also, when you get a chance, you know, spread the word about us. Leave a review. Give us a thumbs up or even like some critiques, uh, input, anything to help people know about this podcast, spread the word about this podcast or help us improve this podcast. Every little bit helps and we really appreciate it. And be sure to join our Discord channel as well. The link is in the episode description at discord.me slash firepit. You'll get notifications of new episodes. And even better, you can engage in questions with other fans of the show and ourselves. Uh, we pop in a couple times a week and chat it up with the, the rest of everyone else. Give us suggestions for future episodes, critique past episodes, whatever. Just join the Discord, join the discussion, and join our adventure to Raiders of the Lost Ark. And if you want to send us a little bit longer, more wordy message, we always love reading those. You can email us at curtaincallentertainmentinc at gmail.com, just like that guy in the interspersal says. You know, you can send us a super long or a short message, whatever. Doesn't matter. But if you want to send us a really short message at 160 characters or less, be sure to hit us up on uh, Twitter at, <laughs> at FirePitCCE. I promise Dan will get better at tweeting the tweets. Work is slowing down. I should be okay. He should be okay. Um, or like our Facebook page. Uh, we're present there, too. We do the social medias. But uh, both of those are linked in the episode's description if uh, you need them for a later date. And speaking of Facebook, I want to shout out one of our Facebook followers, Georgia. Georgia, thank you for joining us on Facebook, helping to spread the fires, if you will. Whether you listen to us regularly, just pop in on occasion, or just linger on the page to see whatever we post just thanks for helping to keep the fire pits burning. And also myself as an editor, I would like to shout out Audacity. 
Audacity is the tool I utilize to edit this podcast. It is freeware software. It has a myriad of tools that I utilize to make us all sound fantastic, cut out all the parts that don't quite sound so good, and where it really comes in handy for all the scripted skit segments, every tweak, bleep, and sweep, it's there when I need to put in a sound effect, improve a sound effect, or remove a sound effect. So Audacity, if you want to use it for your podcast, they don't pay me to say anything about it, but we're not paying anything to use it. So give it a try. See how it works for you. You may uh, exploit your inner editor and then hate yourself for all eternity. Or you could be a masochist and be the editor. That's why I said I'm not doing it when we started this podcast. But uh, I would like to shout out my uh, high school biology teacher, whom uh, I will have to say that I would have to consider the thing as a creature. I don't remember the assignment, but uh, I'm sorry I was such a dick in high school. And I have to say that uh, the fact that I had a, a teacher who would have assigned this as homework was, had to have been an awesome teacher, and I did not take advantage of you back then. So shout out to you. Tim, if you remember his name, please let me know. But anywho, that's my shout out for him. He, he was an awesome biology teacher in hindsight. Uh, I would like to shout out, obviously, Peggy, the OG friend of the channel. Thank you so much for your continued support and listening. Looking forward to hanging out with you here in a couple of weeks uh, as you come down for my birthday. Uh, I'd also like to shout out um, and congratulate him on his upcoming nuptials and uh, thank him for actually asking me to be the best man at his wedding. Uh, Rob, chairman, CEO, owner, operator of Rob's Custom PCs. Congratulations on your engagement. Long may your happiness continue. Thank you for listening to the show. Oh, wow. Con yeah, kudos. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, really happy to hear that. And I was absolutely flattered he asked me to be, a asked me to be his best man. That was, you know, that was pretty awesome yeah congratulations and like i said yeah we got to shout him out on that because if peggy's the og friend of the channel rob is like the second og friend of the channel like he's been listening to it almost as long our first sponsor even. yeah and our, yeah, our first sponsor and and just uh he, he's a he's a friend so shout out to him and thanks to his support i'd also like to shout out uh sync lounge my god do you make this podcast easy as far as like, you know, the three of us do not live next to each other. We do not do this in person. We've been this started because of the pandemic. We couldn't hang out together. And Sync Lounge makes it so that all three of us can watch it at the same time without having to mess around with, uh, you know, synchronized watches or timestamps. Or we don't have to watch the movie separately and give our thoughts at different times. No, it, Sync Lounge makes it so that all three of us can watch it at once. And a also a shout out to our recording software zencaster you guys have been just the best especially since we were first using skype and it lost the greatest selection <laughs> section episode ever and uh, we've never gone back to use it again we only use it now for meetings we don't use it for recordings so shout out to zencaster um i still remember that one night i think it was tom or josh somebody lost their internet for like 20 minutes and it still yes. saved the recording so yep. <laughs> that was awesome so shout out to zencaster and that's all i have for tonight so excellent excellent episode guys and from my end i am so glad i got to see this film with you and that you like the film so much but now that definitely we... better than the natural which was the second film on your last journey 
Remember how we, we all liked that movie and then we had our descent into madness and we hated it? Thankfully, they didn't happen with this one. No, no, no. No, yeah, definitely. Definitely. But what, uh, anybody want to take a wild, uh, want to bet on what we're watching next week? I got some cash on it. Um, I, 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 you know, I don't, I, I don't, would you hum a few bars? I mean, uh, maybe uh, make it a jaunty tune. Something like a tango or something? Oh, that's where you're going with this one. Okay. Um, no. I don't tango for cash. Credit only. Cre- yeah, I was going to say, do you tango for credit or favors? Yes. <laughs> what kind? We're swinging to tango and cash in the next episode. But until then, I've been Tom. I've been Josh. And I've been Dan. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of Curtain Call Entertainment, LLC. Good luck out there. I need that. Oh, just feel that sun. <sighs> you know, it's amazing that after such a good night's sleep, finding the next clue was stupid easy. Yeah. Also, uh, it was interesting that really the internet was down at the Norwegian base. Yeah, it was only a four-hour fix, too. That's a whole bunch of scientists. They're probably all watching penguins having sex. Bunch of perverts. All right, guys. Well, I guess next stop, Los Angeles. Well, since I'm the only one rated to fly for this skit, I'm piloting the helicopter. Which one of you three wants to ride shotgun? Shotgun! Shotgun! Well, he called it. Ah, damn. All right, Tom. Shotgun's yours. All right, well, I guess you guys got the front. Hey, Tom, would you uh, hold this bag? I don't think there's enough room in the back seat. Yeah, sure, sure. Just, I think you can tuck it in between you and Tom right there. Sure, Tom, is that all right? That should be fine. Cool. All right, well, Dan and I will get in the back seat. It's a little cramped, but whatever. Tom, after you, let's get flying. <laughs> you got something caught in your throat? <laughs> what? No, no, nothing. Just I was just remembering a, a funny joke. Why are you looking on the... Uh, like over there there's nothing over there it's just snow and penguins having so oh never mind that's good in the spank bank neat <laughs>